Good morning, everyone. I'd like to make a comment first. I want to give some uh, credit to my speech, my sermon coach, Jack Chrissy. Every time, every time he gives me really good advice, keep it short. So I have a question for you, Jack. Are the Texans playing this afternoon? Are the Astros playing this afternoon? You care about the Rockets? Okay, we're good. All right. We're going to continue a series that Greg started a few weeks ago about the church in something. And these are actions. What are we in? What are we doing? And this week, we're going to talk about the church in mission. And mission, a church in mission, this is sort of a churchy kind of phrase. We talk about the mission of the church or this, and we don't always know what it means. So we're going to start with just saying, what does it mean if you're in mission? Is it being a missionary? Is it working for a church or another Christian organization? Is it being an evangelist, witnessing to strangers, on your soapbox, on the corner, you know, in the parking lot of Baybrook Mall, you know, thumping your Bible, so to speak. So, witnessing the strangers, making YouTube videos. What does this mean? Well, these are excellent questions, and I'm glad you're here today so we can talk about that. Broadly speaking, God's mission is his purpose and his plan for his church, capital C, and also our role in that church. It's his plan to bring us all to heaven, to build his church over time. And so if we're in mission, we are in God's plan. We are part of God's purpose. And the point here, there's, it's participation. It's not just sitting back and watching. So we're going to read from Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read um, verses 1 through 8, but just the last couple of verses are going to be um, presented. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. In my former book, Theo, I wrote all about that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days he will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, in a a sense, 
This is the, the training that Jesus is giving to his disciples to say, here's what you have to do. Because as you may recall, after Jesus died, which was a big shock to the disciples because they weren't planning on this, it's like, well, now what are we going to do? Jesus is gone. Well, he came back, but he's going to go to hell. What do we what do we do? And Jesus tells him. You will be my witnesses. So, let's look at what is a witness. A witness, according to the dictionary, is one with knowledge of an event or change from personal observation or experience, or one that gives evidence. Okay, so you can think about Jesus now says to his disciples, I want you to be witnesses. You have seen what I've done, you know about it, and I want you to give evidence about it. Okay, so it at least gives a little bit of information to the disciples as to what's going on and what's going to happen. So God's mission for me, if I'm in the mission, if we all are in mission with God, he wants us to be witnesses. Okay, so to know what God is doing, there's a big element there that talks about faith building. How do I know what God is doing or what God has done if I don't read the Bible, if I don't go to Bible studies, if I don't worship, if I don't have Christian friends? That's part of what knowing what God is doing is maturing in faith and to give evidence, which broadly says if you're going to give evidence, you're going to tell, give evidence to somebody who doesn't already know this. I can give evidence to Greg about God and Jesus and what he did, and he says, yeah, yeah. I know that. But the challenge, as, as Greg talked about last week in evangelism, how do we tell people that don't know about God? And for many people, I'm one of them, that's, that's hard. I'm uncomfortable talking to friends and neighbors about my faith. If I know they're not Christians, what are they going to say about it? They're going to think I'm weird, weird more weird. Um, are they going to, whatever, right? It, some people are, are comfortable with this. I happen to not be. I know i got to get better at it. Well, that's a sidebar. But the point is that you're, if I'm doing this, now I'm part. If I'm working on this, this makes God happy. Every piece that supports his kingdom is a good thing. Not every one of us are going to be Billy Graham. We need one or two, or maybe 20 or 30, but not everybody's going to be Billy Graham. But we have to be part of it. So think of it this way. Oh, yes, I'm part of the basketball program. And so what do you do? Well, nothing. Yeah, I watch it on TV if I'm not busy. Come on. That's not part of the program. Part of the program says, I might be a player, I might be a ball boy, I might be doing the laundry for the team, I might be the janitor, but I'm part of the program, right? And that's what we're talking about here. If we're in mission with God, we are part of the program. And part of the program is not watching it on TV if 
we don't have anything else to do. Jesus' instructions were uncomfortable, and we have to think about that too. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Well, Jerusalem, think about this. These are all Jews, right? Practicing Jews. And now they're practicing Christians. Jerusalem's easy. These are all my friends. Judea's easy, because half these people were fishermen from the Sea of Galilee. Samaria? Well, they're not really Jews. They're not they're not real Jews. I have to talk. To the ends of the earth, I can see at this point where they, the disciples sort of said, well, I'm just, maybe that will go away. But Luke knew it was important enough to write down. So the goal is to bring God's word to everybody, not just the ones that look like us. Public service announcement, the junior high kids may be dismissed. So that's important. It's important. But as the disciples knew, maybe they didn't fully internalize it yet, but they knew that Jesus had power. And, he, and Jesus here says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. These things are going to be new. Jesus knew. Maybe the disciples didn't really realize this yet. Everything changes that week. And Jesus knows that these people are going to be uncomfortable with it. Well, because he knows things. The disciples have probably been uncomfortable with almost everything the last year, so they were sort of getting used to things being different. But the point here is the Holy Spirit helps. It's not something that the disciples or that you or I have to do on our own. Did all the, 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 the Jerusalem followers become preachers? When, when Pentecost came, 3,000 people joined the church. They weren't all preachers. They were people with the same demographics as the church here. you got some people that work in factories, some people drive truck. Um, they do different things. And they weren't called to go do something different. These people were largely stayed in Jerusalem. Many were outsiders because they came for, for the feast. Um, but they didn't leave Jerusalem. They were in, being in witness, being in mission, allows people to build on where they already are. And that's what we're called to as well. The disciples didn't know what this meant. These new Christians didn't know what it meant. But the Holy Spirit did. And that's a really good thing. Holy Spirit's really smart. We have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to guide us and encourage us to do things. Think about this. These disciples, there may have been about 100 or so at that time. Holy Spirit comes. 3,000 people join the church. Now what? Let's pretend our church has, and we do, 100 to 200 people. 3,000 people come next Sunday morning. We don't know what to do. They didn't either. But 
God was, God was there to help. So what did the New Testament Christians do? In broad stroke, they went back to their jobs. They went home. They cooked dinner. Kids went to school. Mom and dad went to work or whatever they were doing. But there were extras. If, if, if one of the parents was a school teacher, that person went to school the next day. But the Holy Spirit is inside their hearts now. And so they're encouraged. They're compelled. They're drawn to do extra Christian activities that make them distinct. We'll talk about that in a second. And it's different for different people. Not everybody's called to do exactly the same thing. And so these 3,000 new believers with 12 disciples and probably about maybe 100 or so committed followers, they now find themselves as, as the leaders of this church. Ratio's about 1 to 30, not impossible. And, but now they, they're called to do some things. And here's some of the specifics. This is from verse 42. Here's what they did. They were devoted to teaching and fellowship. They sold property and possessions and shared them with those that needed it. They met in the temple courts. They had meals together, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. It's not rocket science. None of them listed here. It's not like 300 people quit their job and moved into a monastery or quit their job and went to seminary so they could go do this. Did some people quit their jobs and become impassioned leaders? Certainly. But not everybody. They were devoted to teaching and fellowship. If they had means, now certainly of these people, uh, and Greg's talked about this, not very many people in those days were wealthy. But this says those that did have wealth, sold possessions, and helped those, as we're talking about today. Those of us that do have water and electricity and a job, contribute, right? Because there's people, even if you do have insurance, you're hurting for a couple of weeks until you get your feet on the ground. So why did they do this, though? Because they're compelled. They had the Holy Spirit in their hearts, and they said, I'm a Christian. They, and these people were a, certainly attuned to the work of the Holy Spirit, right? It's new to them. It's fresh. It's cool. And they've got a bunch of friends that are doing it as well. And the Holy Spirit's helping. And all that is really good. So, but being in, in mission, then, is individual and distinctive for all these people. And obviously the lesson here for us. Not everyone did all these things. It wasn't a checklist that says, okay, devoted to teaching, check, sold property. No, I got to pass on that. Met in the temple courts. Oh, I didn't see you in the temple courts yesterday. Right? It's not a checklist. Different people did different things that fit with their abilities, their time, just like we. The things that we're called to do and that we do match your time, your interests, 
your abilities. It's not a checklist. And for all these people, it's new. If you think about these things, these are not traditional Jewish practices of the time. Being a Jew at that time was a checklist. You, you went to the synagogue. Um, once a year, you really made an effort to go to the temple. You made sacrifices. Okay? There's a lot of things to do, but it's pretty clear in that age that sense of personal faith was pretty modest. That sense of fellowship, of ordinary people being in fellowship. If you think about Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, there's a lot of the religious leaders getting together and saying things. You know, it's not a, a com- the Jewish tradition there was not a community of believers. This is a community of believers. Not everyone does everything, but everyone's doing something that helps themselves, that helps their neighbor. Same thing here. And there's all sorts of people. They, they got school teachers and, well, they had truck drivers. They had mule drivers. <laughs> they had moms and dads. They had little kids, farmers, shepherds, import-export traders, um, some priests, some religious leaders joined the church. So it's a big mix. Oh, sort of like the church today. There's a lot of diversity here. That's okay. That's good. So now, let's go to regroup here a minute. If we're in mission with God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are witnesses, which means, broadly, personal faith grow, development. I want to grow my faith. And I want to help grow the church. You can, you can cut this up a couple different ways. These are my two favorite pillars uh, uh, for this year to say, I want to grow my personal faith, and I want to, as part of that, participate in the growth of the church. Fortunately, I'm not doing it myself. You're not doing it yourself. We have this church. We have the Christian community. And we have the Holy Spirit. You know, we win. At the end of the day, right? At the end of the day, we win. That's pretty cool. So, here's the flow from Acts 2, 1 through 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to... Okay, so got the power, and they began to speak. So they're using that power. And then those who accepted his message were baptized. Oh, hey, when you get baptized, Holy Spirit's in you. When the Holy Spirit's in you, the Holy Spirit's going to give you power, it's going to give you gifts and encouragement, and courage. And so that's enabling you to talk to other people who can accept the message and be baptized. Rinse and repeat, right? This is how, simplifying slightly, but this is what, the, what we're talking about here in the first part of Acts, is that the apostles and these, and these hundred or so believers got the Holy Spirit. They had Power and enthusiasm. 3,000 people joined the church. We generally expect they got baptized and they stayed in the church because it says a couple verses later, here's what they're doing. They're visiting with the apostles and the other elders. They're meeting in the temple courts. That's buzzword for Bible study and church, right? Because you're meeting with the other Christians in a public place to talk about God. 
and other people join the church, and hey, they get inspired too, and more and more and more happens. None of the believers were planning this. Guarantee you, none of these people were planning this. But they all part- they said, Holy Spirit's in my heart. I am changed. I'm different. And I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to learn what it means to be a Christian. Now, we're, these are all, we're all learning together here. But with the Holy Spirit, with the apostles, there, there's the discipline to not go way out in the left field, but to stay true, true to what God is teaching. So for us, for us, we have the Holy Spirit. We also have superhuman powers. We are powered, empowered, for personal faith growth, and we are empowered for church growth. And it's real work. It, we, we're probably not called to sit on the sofa and watch church TV with a cup of tea and a soft puppy. There's not too many people that are called to to be isolated and passive. Maybe there is, but in general, in general, that's not what we're called to do. Even if, if, if you are laid up and you can't get out of the house, you can probably still read the Bible and you can still pray. And those are actions that God really likes. So we're not called to sit back and go on standby. So, three things I want you to think about. In mission, faith growth. Pray. Read the Bible. Be in some sort of group with other Christians. Church, Sunday school, Bible study. If you like Greg's sermons, Download the podcast, listen to them in the car again. Listening to sermons the second time, try it once. It's different the second time. And the point here is reevaluate your priorities and stretch. Again, don't be complacent with where you are right now. Stretch a little bit. And as was with these Christians, they didn't hide. They were obvious in what they did and deliberate in what they did. You see this, too, in Paul's missionary trips. He didn't sort of sneak in the back gate and meet with the Christians, you know, in the Seventh-day Adventist church, but on Sunday and come in the back door. I mean, he was in the market square. He was in the temple, the tabernacle. He was obvious. We're not necessarily that obvious, but we're not devious, Right? If we're going to church, you walk out your door, you get in your car, you go to church. You know, if you're going to do door hangers, you put them on your street too. Right? You don't go to someone else's neighborhood to put up door hangers. You know, it's that sort of thing. Be deliberate and don't hide it. Second thing in mission for church growth. Participate. 
Again, we're not all called to be a pastor or an evangelist, but there's a lot of things we can do right here that help. Support hope projects like the Winter Storm Fund. Support help our military endure. Support the Star of Hope, regional outreaches that make our dollars go a lot further or our volunteer time go a lot further. Maybe you don't have time and you don't have money. Pray for them. Pray for these organizations. But it's active. There's active. And the second slide then on church growth is broader and broader. Participate locally, regionally, and globally. Our church sponsors the Giffords, who he um, is a seminary professor in Mexico City teaching Mexicans to become church leaders. And we are one of his supporters. And that's one of the things that we, as broadly speaking, wealthy Americans are called to do. Church starts. There are several church starts in Houston related to the Christian Reformed Church. There's opportunities for that, especially for Spanish-speaking communities. And that's one of the things our church is talking about right now. How do we use our building for a lot more than what we're doing it now? So you've seen a couple weeks ago we had this Deepwater Academy where a Christian day school is going to be using this as their base. We're we're talking about saying, will it work to have a Spanish-speaking church located in this building to reach the couple hundred thousand Spanish-speaking people that live within two miles? World Renew. We see them in the green shirts. Many winters, they're coming down here to help rebuild places Show God's grace and love to people that need it. And my passion, which is the Faith Prayer and Track League in India, where for $30 a month, I keep a pastor and his family intact and able to work. The Christian Reformed Church supports a lot of missions in a lot of different countries. And it's very frequently the case that a dollar for an in-country Christian goes a lot further than a dollar to a Westerner who travels to that country. So the work that we do in India, I might go there every other year, but that's run by Indians, for Indians, and the money goes an awful long way, in part because the standard in, in India is pretty low. Supporting how, We can't live too long on 30 bucks. A pastor and his family can get by on 30 bucks a month. Difference, anyway, I digress. Reevaluate your priorities and stretch. So here's what I'd like you to do start thinking right now on your faith walk and how do you spend your time and resources for church growth. God has given us gifts, resources. I've been blessed to have a a long career working for a chemical company that pays well. I have options that are different than many of yours. You have options that are different than mine. 
And God isn't saying one size fits all. But everybody has a size, right? We all are wearing God's coat, so to speak. So what do we do? Whether you're in high school or in a career or retirement, we're all in this loop where it's appropriate to reevaluate and stretch because that's consistent with what God is calling us to do. And in so doing, we make God happy. God's love for us doesn't depend on whether we do this or not. It's not like, well, if I don't donate to the storm fund, God's love goes down a notch. Or if I donate, ooh, I get more of God's love. No, his love is unconditional. But he is pleased when he sees us responding in faith. And this all works together. In closing then, this is Jesus saying, the king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. So as we respond to God's grace, we are, we are expected to become a little bit uncomfortable to reach out a little bit further than we did last year, to grow in faith, to grow in outreach. And a life of ease isn't prescribed in the Bible. We are certainly blessed. Are we blessed? There's people that have a you know, broken shoulder with access to one of the best medical care facilities in the world. And there's many of us that have broken pipes, We're still blessed. Because if you have broken pipes, chances are you have a friend that you can stay with. Right? We're blessed. We're called to share that blessing. So I encourage you, reevaluate your priorities. We all, as a church, reevaluate our priorities. What should we be doing that's the best use of the resources God has given us? the best uses that God has given me. And stretch. These disciples, if you think about that, boy, were they stretched in these three or four years. And they thrived, right? Because the Holy Spirit's there. Superhuman powers. Let's, Let's pray. God, you have given us superhuman powers through the Holy Spirit. You have, as we see in the Bible, empowered your people to do amazing things. You have brought 3,000 people into the church. You have guided them to grow in faith, to build skills, to support missionaries, to grow and grow. And God, I ask for that same empowerment and enthusiasm today because we know we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We know that we are called to do these same things. Help us, God, to evaluate our priorities, to look at 
where we have our we have where we are sufficient, whether it's money or time or things that you will guide us to reevaluate thoughtfully and prayerfully and stretch so that your kingdom grows and your name is honored. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.